Well, great job. Boy, what a wonderful job they did. My, oh my. All their smiling faces. Isn't that something? Amen. The joy of the Lord in their hearts. Thank you, kids. You did so well tonight. I'll tell you what, let's all stand and do that song together, all right? One, just a verse as they put some things away and get things ready to go. Here we go. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where I, I say, my sins are gone. Ready? There underneath the blood at the cross of Calvary, as far as darkness is from dawn. See, God, forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. You hear how low that is? Seems low, doesn't it, guys? That's because when you, ch you have children singing, you have to lower songs or they'll never reach the notes. You didn't know that, did you? They'll all be like screeching and screaming all the time. Well, you did a good job. All right. You may be seated, Brother Dean. despise forsake thee take it to the lord in prayer in his arms he'll take and shield thee thou will find us all is Amen. That was good tonight. I enjoyed that. The choir did a great job. Dean, thank you. And then the children, of course. Man, I mean, wow. What do you say? It sounded great. It sounded great tonight. That was good. I like that little key change in there, too. That was sharp. Girls and guys both handled that like pros. It was awesome. Way to go. All right. Well, tonight, uh, I told you this morning, and some of you were here, some of you were uh, at home. Um, <laughs> No, you, you were down working. I know, I know you're busy on buses and all over the place, but I had mentioned that I was going to talk about three kinds of pitches that the devil throws us that can strike us out in life as this fly 
about took me out of my game. But anyway, uh, three strikes. And uh, so tonight, I just want to share with you a real basic thought tonight. We're going to, you know, have a little bit of baseball going on in here. And of course, as it's getting near uh, playoff time for baseball, I thought it was kind of appropriate. And so we'll see what's going on there. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk about a simple message I've entitled, Three Strikes and You're Out. Three Strikes and You're Out. So uh, we'll get that going. Um, years ago, when I was in the military, um, you know, they, they trained you. You know, if you're going to fight a battle, you need to learn something about your enemy, of course. And, uh, you know, so what they did with us is they would teach us how to spot enemy equipment. And things like, you know, they would, for instance, give us flashcards. There was these flashcards that had silhouettes on them. And the silhouettes would have their, like, the shapes of their planes and their personnel carriers, their tanks. And you had to identify the different uh, pieces of equipment uh, so that, whether it be at night or whether it be in the dusk or the dawn or maybe even during the day, you, you weren't going to necessarily fire on, you know, friendly enemy, friendly, uh, your friendlies. You were going to fire only on the enemy, you know what I mean? So you wanted to be able to spot when you saw that plane coming through. You go, oh, that's an enemy plane, let's shoot it down. Uh, you don't want to shoot your own planes down. You know, that, oh, that, that tank's an enemy tank. You don't want to shoot your own tanks, you know, things like that. So they taught you how to identify uh, different types of uh, equipment that the enemy used. And so uh, they did that on purpose so that we'd get to know our enemy a little bit. Also, they taught us different tactics or strategies maybe that the enemy would use from time to time or that they'd used in the past so that somehow maybe we would uh, foresee uh, their every move. We'd kind of have an idea. Okay, listen, in this situation there, we can count on them being uh, hiding out over here or doing this or flanking us or whatever it might be. So you learned about your enemy. They did that on purpose because the more you know about your enemy, the more likely you are to be able to, to um, con- you know, know the next move they're going to make. And obviously the goal in, in, in war is to win. I mean, nobody wants to lose war, obviously. And the Bible tells us that we're soldiers. The Bible tells us we're in a battle. And so it's important. We want to win, I hope. I hope you don't want to lose. I mean, I hate the thought of losing a battle. I hate the thought of losing the war. Well, God wants us to be winners in this game of life and in the Christian life. And so we have an adversary, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And the Bible tells us that adversary is none other than the devil. He's our adversary. And he goeth about seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to ruin your life, he wants to devour you, and he wants to upset everything good in your life. And if you have anything good in your life, let me tell you, it's not from the devil, it's from God. And so the devil wants to trip you up, he wants to mess you up, and he wants to ruin everything good that's going in your life. So the devil's our adversary, he's our opponent, and if we want to get the victory, we need to know all that we can about him. In Ephesians 6.16, the Bible says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So you got some fiery darts for you. I don't know about you, but darts are bad enough, but these are fiery ones. I don't want anything to do with those. And he says, you better have a shield of faith, and the devil's certainly going to be attacking with those fiery darts. And in the same chapter, chapter 6, verse 11 of Ephesians, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. He's got some tricks up his sleeve, and he's going to try to mess you up. Don't think for a moment he's going to come face to face with you and say, okay, listen, get ready, I'm going to clobber you. He doesn't do it that way. He's going to sucker punch you. He's going to hit you while you're not looking. He's going to attack you from behind. He's going to do whatever it takes to get you off track. The battle which he wages is a spiritual battle. And it's a battle for the souls of mankind. That includes your soul and the souls of your loved ones, your friends, your family. He wants to ruin, he wants to wreck their lives also, and he ultimately wants to lead them to a place called hell where they'll perish and be eternally tormented forever. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle's not against a physical foe. It's against... Satan, and it's against the demonic influences of this world. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. 
It is a battle that if we could roll back the curtain of this world right now, we would see before us, even in our very midst, demonic beings fighting and battling before us. We often fail to remember that reality. We look at our lives and we think this is all that it is. But there is so much more. They talk about the third dimension and they talk about the fourth dimension and all these different dimensions. And if we could only slip into that dimension, we could, you know, travel at the whatever, the speed of light and all this stuff. We could finally get to all these different galaxies and everything. If we could only get past our own dimension. Let me tell you what, there's another dimension. It's a spiritual dimension. And it's a literal dimension, and it is one in which there is a battle transpiring and taking place all the time. We don't say that to just simply scare people, and we don't try to, you know, make people afraid to go to bed at night. But let me tell you something, there are beings and there are creatures that are spiritual that are legitimately and literally battling it out in our very presence. You know, we talk about the Spirit of God walking up and down the aisles of this auditorium at times. Let me tell you what, Satan and his demons are up and down this aisle as well. And if we can only see with spiritual eyes, if we can only understand there's more to this than just what we see, it may help us to live our lives in a much different manner. If you and I want victory over Satan, we need to know something about how he operates. In sports, they have what's called a scouting report. If you're going to play a particular ball team or maybe a football team or whatever it might be, you, you send a scout out, and that scout will scout the team. They'll look over the team. They'll try to find the weaknesses and note the strengths of that team. And so as you watch them play, as you watch them perform, you learn their system and you understand what they do well, what they don't do well, and you try to get to know them so that then you can begin to relate those weaknesses and those strengths to the players and, and come up with a strategy by which you can truly, um, I guess, exploit their weaknesses and defend their strengths. Well, I want you to understand that there are three pitches that he uses, the devil uses. He's going to throw some things at you. keep hearing a noise. It's my baseball bat. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? He's going to throw some things at you tonight. He's going to throw some things to you, at you throughout your life. And I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can by describing them as types of pitches that you would receive if you were on a baseball team standing in the batter's box during a ball game. And so tonight, what in the world? Is there something on my shoe? It's the devil. He's in here. He is in here, buddy. Don't think he isn't. So tonight, I just want to preach a message entitled, Three Strikes and You're Out. I'm going to share three pitches with you that the devil's going to throw at you to mess you up. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you again for this time that we have together tonight. Boy, what a great uh, message and song the kids had. And Father, the choir and Dean. And Father, just uh, the opportunity that we had to participate by singing together and fellowshipping one with another already tonight. Lord, tonight, may we, our hearts be stirred and may we be blessed over these next few moments. Father, help us in this next half hour to really focus our attention on you and allow you, Father, to speak to our hearts. Remind us, Lord, of our weaknesses and help us to realize, Lord, that we're all susceptible to some of these pitches that the devil will throw at us. We need to be careful because, Lord, there's more at stake than even our own life and our own future. There's so many others that we influence and we impact. Help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight, I want us all to get in the batter's box a little bit. Somebody's getting nervous because I got a bat. They're like, oh, no, what if he lets go of it? I won't. I won't. We're going to get in a batter's box tonight. And we're going to look at some of the pitches that the devil's going to throw at us. Because the goal, obviously, is to hit the baseball. The goal is to hit a home run. The goal is to win. And I tell you what, every believer tonight, I believe, wants to win. I don't think anybody wants to lose the ball game, so to speak, the game of life. And so what do we have to be weary of? What do we have to look for when we stand in that batter's box? First of all, 
I want you to know the devil has a fastball. The devil has a fastball. Now in baseball, the pitcher is going to fire the ball as hard as he can in order to get the batter to be caught watching or looking. The ball comes so fast that even if he does recollect that it's going to be in the strike zone, by the time he swings, the ball's already in the glove and he's swinging late. That's the goal of the fastball. To put it by the batter before the batter really knows what crossed the plate. In order to hit a fastball, you have to really be watching and you have to be ready to swing. You cannot relax and you cannot get lazy if you want to hit a fastball. If you get in the batter's box and you get a little bit lethargic, you get a little bit lazy, ah, I got this, no problem. Before you know it, the ball's by you and you're swinging late. You thought I was going to hit that, didn't you? You have to be careful. Don't relax. Don't get lazy. Turn, if you would, over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Let me tell you, that applies so desperately to the Christian life tonight. So, so awfully much to the Christian life. Look at Ephesians, chapter 5. And let me tell you, sometimes it's easy to get weary in well-doing. Sometimes it's easy to get lazy and to get lethargic in the Christian life. It just is. But we receive this admonition and this warning over in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, notice what the Bible says there. See then that she, excuse me, verse 14, it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that she walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Notice again the first portion, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, for, and Christ shall give thee light. Boy, I'm glad today that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. I'm glad that uh, when we follow after Jesus Christ, we walk in the light. And because we walk in the light, we can see what's coming. We don't have to be blindsided, we don't have to be caught off guard. Now, too many times we are caught off guard, but not because we can't see, but because we don't see, because we're sleeping or we're lazy. We get comfortable where we're at and we become, we get lazy. So we don't see it coming. And the Bible tells us, okay, now you have that light, obviously. And he goes, because you have that light, see then that you walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. Keep your eyes open. You know, get a full range of view. Don't allow anything to sneak up on you. And so here I am in the batter's box, and I mean to tell you, I'm on alert. I'm ready. I can see the pitcher. I I see the ball in his hand. I'm watching all the way through. I'm standing in the batter's box. I am ready. I'm not relaxing. I'm ready to go. Now, again, you can't be like a statue like that. Someone I'm talking about. But I'm ready. I'm not like... You ever see guys get in the batter's box, they got the bat on their shoulder, and the coach is yelling, Get your bat off your shoulder! Get it off your shoulder! You can't hit a ball if the bat's on your shoulder. Why? Because it takes too long to get the bat up and then back through. Then you've got to be ready. Get that bat up. Get that elbow up. Get ready for that ball. And you want to know something? <laughs> you want to know something? <laughs> you ain't getting that message, even no matter how young. But anyway, you've got to be ready. You can't relax. And it says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Again, the devil wants to catch you sleeping. He wants you to be lazy in your Bible reading and your prayer life. He wants you to fall asleep concerning the souls of men and women and boys and girls around you. He wants you just to relax a little bit. He wants you to react slowly and he wants you to miss the opportunity to hit a home run for Jesus' sake. Man, there's so many opportunities for us to reach out to people and so many opportunities to do good on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet so many times we're relaxed in the batter's box and the devil's throwing pitches at us and we're coming up way too late. And man, he's hitting us between the eyes and he's scoring against us, so to speak. And he's causing trouble and wreaking havoc in our lives. And all along we're just too relaxed. We're not walking circumspectly. We look at our lives and the devil's throwing a fastball in our marriage and he throws a fastball in our home and we say, I don't understand how that happened. How did he get that by me? He gets the wrong shows and the improper music and even the bad influences right past us and we didn't even realize it. 
You've heard the statement, he pulled a fast one on you. You've heard that before. What that's implying is that before you knew it, you'd been taken advantage of or used in some way. You want to know something? He'll do all he can to pull a fast one on you. And one day you'll wake up in the morning and you'll say to yourself, how in the world did I end up here? How did I end up here? Well, we've got to be careful. Because the devil's got a fastball. And he wants you to be swinging late. He wants you to get lazy. Comfortable. He doesn't want you walking circumspectly with your eyes open, ready and waiting and prepared for what he's going to throw at you. Not only does he have a fastball, but he's got a curveball. The devil's got a curveball. Now, it's interesting thing about a curveball when it leaves the pitcher's hand. It looks kind of like a regular pitch. It looks like it could be a, a fastball. It looks like it could be a. It could be almost anything. It's coming right down the pipe. You look like you're going to really hit that ball, and all of a sudden it starts to break or turn or curve. And what the object of the bat, pitcher is is to get the ball to literally curve outside the strike zone. Now, the, the, the object is to put it over the plate, and you see that in baseball. You've got home plate, and you really, the, home, the batter's box is just so wide, and, and you've got your, you know, the strike zone that's right about in here and goes right about to here, you know, so you've got about a couple of feet there. And the goal is to have it that high and to have it within the, the plate. Well, the pitch is going to come across, and a curveball is designed to go outside the plate. So you look like you're going to hit it in the middle, and before you know it, you're reaching for it. That's the goal of the curveball, to get you to reach outside the strike zone for the pitch. Now listen, if you want to hit a ball with power, it needs to be over the plate and you'd be swinging. You got nervous, didn't you? But then you need to swing really hard through that ball. But boy, if the devil can get you a curveball or the pitcher can get a curveball, you're going, oh. Because you see it coming and next thing you know it starts to curve and you're like, whoa. Swinging outside the plate out of the strike zone so you need to be careful he wants you to chase it the ball that is to chase the ball right outside the strike zone and thus you miss the pitch see the devil wants you and i to chase things out of the strike zone See, God has a will, and God has a plan, and God has His Word. And the devil's goal and his desire is to get you to chase his curveballs, to get you to step outside the batter's box, to swing at things and reach after things that are outside of God's will, out of God's Word. You know, the devil's good, just like that fastball. He throws that pitch... And it looks good. It's coming right down the center of the plate. Or possibly even on one of the corners. And you think, I am going to blast this out of there. But really, it's not even close. It starts and looks good. But when you really get down to it, it has no place in the Christian's life. Oh, this won't hurt me. It won't harm me. I can handle it. This is okay. Really? Watch it closely because it may be a curve that the devil's throwing at you. Well, this has to be the will of God. I've heard folks tell me, I've got to take this job. I've got to go follow after this. And they'll say, I'll say, well, where's the church at? You're leaving the town. You're leaving the state. Where's your church at? Well, when I get down there, I'll find it. I say, no, before you need a job, you need a church. Oh, no, preacher, I, I don't think that's... I know we'll find one. That's a pretty big town. It'll be all right. And I find out later that they got the job because they, they, they got it because it had to be the will of God because they make more money than they're making here. 
But that makes it the will of God. I think the devil throws them a curveball. And before you know it, they're reaching outside the strike zone because they don't follow the will of God and the word of God. Instead, they go seeking after money and after maybe riches and maybe after material things. And they fail to realize that all along the devil just can't wait to get them off track because it's not them he's going to ruin and it's not them he's going to send to hell. It's going to be their children and their grandchildren. See, the devil's got all the time that God gives him. You have a very short window to operate and function. The devil's been around for 6,000 years doing and wreaking havoc in this world. Let me tell you something. He can wait till you're dead and off the scene to truly wreak the havoc in the family that you love so much. He sees the big picture. He don't care about your little piddly jobs. He'll give you a few extra thousand bucks if it means he can take your children to hell. People are like, well, I don't know how the preachers say those things because they're all worried about the money they're going to get. Are you kidding me? The money we're going to get. Have you seen our pitiful offerings? I'm not trying to be negative, but are you kidding me? A church our size, lucky to have $7,000 offerings if we're lucky. There are churches with 200 people that have 10,000 offerings a week. I'm not trying to... Listen to me. You honestly believe that I stand up here because you give so well? I'm so tired of people. The preachers want his money. Are you kidding me? Find a church and a pastor you can trust in. Get out of that stinking place you call church. It isn't, obviously. That's really true. But I'll tell you something. I doubt it's the pastor's fault you feel that way. Because all you care about is your stinking money. You know what? Your kids will see that and feel that and learn that as well. And one day when they're burning in hell, they'll have you to thank for it. Because you turned around and chased one of the devil's curveballs right out of the strike zone. Because all you cared about was what looked good to start with instead of how it would end up. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, and love the, love, uh, uh, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Well, we have men in the Bible that are examples of men that, that received that curveball from the devil. I mean, it was coming right down the pike. It looked good, and they thought they were going to do the right thing on behalf of themselves, their families, and maybe others. But before they knew it, they were reaching for something outside the will of God and outside the word of God. I think of a man by the name of Demas. Demas, of course, was a tremendous companion of the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, he was even called at one point a fellow soldier. Can you imagine being a fellow soldier of the Apostle Paul in the battle together with the Apostle Paul, the writer of 13 books in the New Testament, the greatest Christian that ever walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ himself. There he was, a companion, a fellow soldier, living and sleeping and eating and fellowshipping and serving together side by side with this great man of God. But sadly enough, the commentary reads in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know what he's saying? Demas said, I'm the enemy now. I once was his friend. I once was his fellow companion. I once was his co-laborer. I once was his, his, his uh, fellow soldier. One, at one time, we went soul winning together. At one time, we served Jesus together. At one time, we helped others together. But now, I'm the enemy. He's forsaken me. Didn't say he forsook the Lord. Said he forsaken Paul. But unfortunately, he forsook Paul. Why? The commentary goes on to say, having loved this present world. So he forsook God, then he forsook Paul. You don't get over. You don't get over on God. 
You love this world, you're going to find you can't love people that love Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. How can two walk together except they be agreed? How can two walk together except they be agreed? Sooner or later, someone's going to get ticked off. Someone's going to be upset. Someone's going to leave. You forsake God, you will forsake those that love Him. It's just life. It's the way it is. That's a biblical principle. Two can't walk together. Why in the world do you think we have so many divorces in America? Two can't walk together except they be agreed. And today, what we're finding is people say, well, people change today. Yeah, they do change. They've always been changing. The problem is our mores have changed. Our attitudes toward marriage have changed. The direction that we travel has changed. Now we have people where once there was a home where somebody was there to take care of that home. They're all out in the workforce today. Everybody's going some different direction. Everybody's influenced and, 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 and uh, um, impacted by others other than those they care about. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, ladies. You better be real careful with that guy at work. You better be careful. It's easy to think somehow that maybe he's got it together and your husband doesn't. And gentlemen, I'm telling you, it would be easy to think that that secretary at work or possibly that that co-worker seems to be really someone that you could wrap your arms around and hug and really hold and help and encourage because they really care what you think, unlike your wife does. Let me tell you something, you better be real careful. What we've done today is we've grown apart in our relationships. That's why we're struggling to stay together, because we can't walk together except we be agreed. And you're each going different directions instead of focusing your attention on the same goals. I'll tell you, be careful. Be careful with that. It works the same way. If you can get away from God, you can get away from your wife or your husband. See, we always look at it the other way around. Somebody got away from God. You know, somebody got away from their husband or wife, and now look at their their life's a mess. No, you got away from God. When you can get away from God, you can get away from your wife or husband. See, to me, I'd rather have a wife or husband who's more devoted to God than me. Because if they're devoted to God, I'll never have to worry about their devotion to me. But see, the devil's good at throwing curveballs today. What happens to us, too, sometimes... If we're not careful, well, we've got to be careful. I almost went to the next one. I don't get ahead. I'm almost done with this one. You're going, praise the Lord. You only go around once in life, right? Grab all the gusto you can get. Isn't that what the world tells you? That's what beer commercials used to say a few years ago. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Live it up. You better be careful. Hey, listen, we're in a game today, the game of life. The Christian game. I want, to be a vic- I want to be victorious in this Christian life. And I'm going to tell you what, I stand in the batter's box every day, just like you do. And the devil's throwing me pitches. He throws that fastball, and if I'm not careful, I get caught lazy, not reading my Bible, not praying, not being in God's house like I ought to. I get lazy in my spiritual disciplines. Next thing I know, I'm swinging so late that I'm striking out at the plate. And then every once in a while, he throws a curve at me. I think, well, that ain't so bad. That's all right. I think I can. That looks like it's coming right down the pike. But then as I go to swing, I realize as I start my swing, it's curving. And I find myself reaching outside the will of God and the word of God. Boy, I better be careful. Be real careful. Because he'll throw you those curveballs and he'll throw you those fastballs. Finally, let me give you the last one. What about the change-up? The devil's good at throwing a change-up. You say, what's a change-up? Well, <clears throat> again, a change-up looks just like a fastball. At least it's supposed to come out of the pitcher's hand looking the same. Now, normally the pitcher will have a different grip on the ball. If he throws a three-finger fastball, he may only put two fingers on the fastball. Whatever, he changes his grip so that when he throws the ball, he can keep the same motion as a fastball, so it looks exactly like the same pitch, but in reality it doesn't have the same power behind it. So what happens is, is that the ball comes at you slower than it looks like it's going to. He usually sets it up with some fastballs. They're coming at you and you're like, wham, swing as fast as you can. I didn't fast, swing as fast as I could. I didn't want to scare you guys. Plus, I'd blow your hair all out of the proportion and all that. So anyway, you, know, you, got, you want to swing fast. Well, the next thing you know, you're anticipating another fastball. You want to be on top of that thing. You don't want to get caught relaxing or sleeping. And next thing you know, here comes the pitch 
You swing well ahead of the ball. You get out in front of the pitch. As believers, if we're not careful, we can get out in front of the pitches. What I mean by that is we can begin to anticipate instead of being patient and waiting. See, the devil is delighted to get you and I out front instead of waiting on God like we should. He's going to send circumstances and situations. He's going to send some pitches your way that get you out in front of God if you're not careful. They get you to go seeking after something or to do something or to fix something even without consulting God. I mean, I got to take the bulls by the horn, preacher. You can't just sit around in life and wait for things to happen. You got to do something about them if you want it to get handled. I agree. You can't just sit around. You know what? One of the curses of our generation is this apathetical, lazy attitude, this no motivation thing. It's terrible. Someone's got to call the BMV. Someone has to go to the grocery store. Somebody has to clean the house. Somebody's got to pick up the trash that was left on the floor. Somebody's got to put that table away. Somebody's got to take those chairs and get rid of them. Somebody's got to take that cross and get it out of here. Somebody's got to do something without being asked all the time. However, that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about in your life. There are times if you're not careful, you get out in front of God. And so do I if I'm not careful. We read about that over in the book of Joshua. Let's take a look in Joshua chapter 9. When a believer goes forward without God, he or she opens themselves up to a world of hurt. You can't, nor can I, leave God behind and reach out on our own, step out on our own. Joshua, all the way back in the Old Testament there. I love this passage, and I'm reminded of it often. <clears throat> Sometimes I think certain times are certain passages that I use more than others, and this is one of them, and I, I think when I'm putting these things in, I, I think to myself, some of the folks are probably going to be like bored with this. Oh, there we go, talking about that again. And then I think to myself... Why does God remind me about that so much? I'm the pastor. I mean, I'm not better than anybody, but listen to me. My job is the Bible. Why would God take the time to remind me about that all the time? Maybe because I'm tempted to get out in front of God. And if I am, I've got to believe maybe you are too. And maybe God puts it on my heart because He knows that we're all prone to stepping out and taking the bull by the horns and not really consulting the Lord as much as we ought to. Hold on now, let's look at it. This is one of those passages that you may be very familiar with. Well, let's once again be reminded then together, because I think I know it as well as anybody in the room personally. Chapter 9, verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work willily. Isn't that a great word? (laughs) Willily. If I said that, you'd think that I messed up the dictionary. And went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clothes upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? Realize and remember that God had warned the Israelites not to make a league or enter into any covenants with the people of the land. They were told not to do that, to emphatically never enter into an unequally yoked relationship with others in their area. Never do that. Do not enter into that. They're idolaters. You have nothing to do with them. (laughs) That's the way it was. But watch what happens. Verse 7, And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? Well, they were on track so far. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Look, here comes that change up. It looks good so far. We are thy servants. 
We like that. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? They said unto him, From a very, very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. All that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Shiloh king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This, our bread, we took hot from our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which were filled were new. And behold, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Boy, oh boy, it sounds good. It looks like a fastball coming right down the pike. looks like we can just jump on it and swing as hard as we can, blast it out of the park, but hold on, it's a change-up. The devil's trying to get them to get ahead of God. Verse 14 says, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. You see what happened? They got out in front of God. They did not. They were not patient. They did not wait on God. I mean, the Bible simply tells us that we're to wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But no, they were in the batter's box, and they were so anxious to hit a home run for God that all of a sudden when the Gibeonites and the devil made their pitch... They said, it's surely a fastball. It's coming right down the middle. It is perfect for a home run. And they swung with all their might, entering into a covenant to find that the devil had thrown them a change-up. They had gotten out in front of God. Do you know that the Gibeonites would be a thorn in their flesh throughout their history? You realize that it wasn't just those that entered into the covenant? but those forever that would grow up in Israel that would be burdened by their presence? Verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them and let them live. The princes of the congregation swear unto them. Watch this. If you'd continue to read, you'd find something amazing, something that rarely happens today even among believers. What happens is, is that in that Bible we're told that ultimately Gibeon, Gibeah, uh, the Gibeonites, are found out. And it's not that long after they entered into the covenant. And they're like, what? You mean you're inhabitants of the land? You mean that you're really from this area? You mean that we entered into a covenant with you? And you aren't from a far country? Yep, that's right. Well, all the bets are off. Give me that contract. We're tearing it up. I'm taking back my promise. That's not what they did. They honored their promise. They took responsibility for their mistake. They didn't say, well... You didn't tell me the whole truth. No, they said to themselves, we should have sought the counsel of God and this would have never happened. It's our fault. We'll pay the price. When's the last time you kept your word even though someone else didn't? I'll do that for you. Without a doubt. Oh, you're really, you're, you're having a problem. There's some difficulties in your life. Let me take care of that. Only to find out they aren't really as bad off as they made it sound. 
You know that person you took all those groceries to, and when you got to the front step, somebody else from another church was walking up behind you, and you said, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from such and such church. They called me, and they needed food. Well, they told me they needed food. I went out of my way to buy food for them out of my own personal budget, and you're here bringing food behind me? Question, did you tell them you'd bring food? Then leave it there. I don't care how many churches bring food up the path of the driveway and into their house. That's not your problem. You are the one that said you'd bring it. Now follow through. You should have prayed maybe over a little bit more. Maybe God would have told you not. Well, I just know I'm supposed to help people. And if I wouldn't have helped them, then what would people have thought? I don't know. What did God say about it? Sometimes people don't need the food. Sometimes they need to starve. Because God's trying to teach them a lesson. And you know what? You're not to judge them whether they need the lesson or not. You're only to obey God's voice when He tells you to do it. And if He told you to do it, then do it. But sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We think we know best. And then we get ticked off because we find out someone didn't tell us the whole truth. You know what? Some of what they said was probably true, but a lot of it wasn't. And the Israelites said, we're going to follow through anyway. You know what the problem was? They got ahead of God. And you know what? We get ahead of God too. We could talk about a number of things like that, couldn't we? Let me help you young people. Before you swing at that next pitch, that boy or girl that God, you think you want to marry, you remember once you make your commitment and you enter into that covenant, you made the choice. Well, I didn't know. He never told me he was like that. You kidding me? You mean to tell me you didn't see one red flag? You didn't notice one thing that was a little upside down? You mean when he grabbed you and threw you against the wall, you didn't think he'd beat you one day? You mean when he called you that name and treated you with disrespect that one time or that second time? You're telling me you didn't have any clue that he might be a little bit selfish? You mean when he went over to his house and his mom made him supper and he said, this is crap. You thought he would like yours? Oh, I mean, what are we talking about? Oh, I think we bear our heads in the sand just like those Israelites did. We don't want to know the truth because we know what we want. And we see the pitch coming. We get out front only to find out. That stinking devil threw a change up on me. I want to encourage you, be careful. Don't believe the lie. Listen, go ahead. I'm not going to tell you, and and there's nobody in the room. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not upset at anybody, but I'm telling you something. You don't have to talk to too many people who have been divorced to tell you you don't ever want to have to deal with it. Let me tell you something. This mentality today that you just go ahead and get married and then divorced and remarried and act as though there's no consequences, that is not true. That is a lie. There are consequences. And although we try to cover it all up and say, well, go ahead and wear your white dress on the second marriage and go ahead and have it. You know, you want to have a big wedding in the church? Oh, that's fine. You've been divorced and remarried? Go ahead. Have another big wedding. You deserve it this time. This one's the real one. That's bull. Go down to the courthouse, get married, and don't drag your preacher into it. Get it done. There are consequences. I'm sorry, but I'm a little bit tired of being thrown in the middle of everything. And then I'm supposed to be a bad guy? Because I say, wait a second, you got married. Why do you want these young people to think there's no consequences for sin when you're standing on that stage in your beautiful white dress again and he's in his beautiful black tux and everybody's going, isn't that a lovely wedding? Isn't this a wonderful thing? You tell me it's wonderful with you who have been through divorce. How wonderful was that divorce? How wonderful was it? I don't want none of these teenagers to experience that. I want them to understand you must make the right choice. And you don't make that choice by swinging at every pitch that comes down the line. The only way you'll get the right one is if you pray and beg the counsel of God and be patient and wait on God. It's true in ministry. It's true in life. We better learn to wait on God. Whether it's your marriage or your career, 
Listen, go to school. Get to your education. But before you decide what you're going to do with your life, why don't you consult God? Why don't we take the time to say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I know I can be a lawyer and make a lot of money. And I know that I could be a doctor. I know I could uh, be a uh, this or that or a teacher or whatever it might be. What do you want, though? We're like the Gibeonites. We're just like Israel with the Gibeonites. Boy, you know what? There's such a need for sports medicine men and women. The, the demand is high. I'm going into sports medicine. The demand is so high for teachers. I'm going to be a teacher. The demand is so high for physical therapists. I'm going to be a physical therapist. Uh, the devil threw a change up. In the last six years, the whole economy and the whole market turned upside down. And now they don't need any teachers. And now they don't need therapists. And now they don't need coaches or whatever it might be. What happened? Just maybe. We got out ahead of God. I know something a lot of people don't know. See, I know that that carousel is going to work. Because that's not my birth child. I didn't conceive that thing. Listen to me, I know. I don't need a pretty auditorium, and I don't need nice classrooms if that's what it's going to take. We've got to go in there with nothing because we don't have a dime to spend. We'll sit on stinking chairs that we fold and unfold if that's what we're talking about. It shouldn't be that way, but if that's what it comes to, I'm willing to do it because I know that God will bless the vision because it was His vision. Now, I hope to God it don't come to that, because I think God would be very displeased if that's how it works out. He would be very poorly disappointed in us. But I am confident, without a doubt, that there will be hundreds and thousands that walk those aisles and get saved at that building. I'm confident of it. Not because somebody gave a pitch, and I swung, no, because... I consulted the Lord. And then I consulted some men. We made sure that God was in it before we made the decision. You don't have to agree with that. I know it. I do think you do agree, though. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. You wouldn't be here if you didn't agree. Listen, there's a world out there telling us, we'll wait to see. Watch them fall on their face. I can't wait to find out what it's going to cost. We still don't know. Our plans aren't completed. The the first round is completed now. We're waiting to do our mechanicals. Our mechanicals will help us to really identify the true cost. This is what I'm going to tell you. I don't care if the buildings sell. I don't care. Because I want God to do it without the building selling. Because I want God to get the glory. See, that's how I think. I've stopped praying for the buildings to sell. And I just pray, God, no matter what it takes, get the glory. When we're sitting in there, may no one in this city ever be able to say that it just worked out for them. It was a good deal. No, I want it to be God. That's all I know. That's all I know. And if God chooses to sell those buildings, that's fine. I'm saying, Lord, that's up to you, though. That's up to you what you want to do. But as far as I'm concerned, every last one of us will dig in our pockets, just like they did in that Old Testament, and we'll keep giving till we're in that building. And we'll do what the world says can't happen in a generation like ours and an economy like ours. And when the world says, how in the world that those poor, out-of-work, insignificant people at that church get in a building like that, 
and do what's going on in that building, they'll not be able to give any one of us credit but God. So if he wants to sell the buildings, that's fine. But I'm just saying, God, if you want them sold, you sell them. But Lord, my prayer is that just that you get glorified. And if we have to limp through this and do it piece by piece by piece, we will do it. But one way or the other, we're going to be sitting up there and you're going to get the glory for it. That's how I feel. Now, that may be a little bit weird, but I just believe God's going to do something. I believe he'll use you and me. and He may use other means. But can you imagine if our building's not one of them sold, and yet we were sitting up there doing fine? You may, you, honestly, how could the world explain that? I'm not saying they won't sell. They might. I don't know. God may bring somebody tomorrow. I'm just saying, what if they don't? That'd be pretty cool if you ask me. I like it. That many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. <clears throat> we got to get out of here. Fastball. It's going to try to blow one by you. Don't get lazy. Don't forget about your Bible reading, your prayer time, your church attendance. Don't let those things happen to you. Fastball. That curveball. Don't start chasing things outside the will of God and out, out of the word of God. Don't, don't do it. Don't do that. And then make sure you consult the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you take the time to wait on the Lord. Don't get ahead of God as he throws that change up. And it looks like it's a fastball. It looks like it's going to be one you can send right out of the park. But in essence, you forgot to get a hold of God first. Let's be careful as Christians. Don't you want to be a radical Christian? I mean, don't you want to be a Christian that's different than what we see around us anymore? Don't you want to be somebody with real faith that prays and sees answers to prayer that the world says are impossible? Don't you want that? I do. I'm telling you tonight, we just need to be careful. Fastballs. Curveballs, chains ups. The devil's trying to trip us up tonight. Let's stay faithful and let's stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for all you've done for us. And again, Lord, I know that in this crowd tonight, there are people who have given their lives. Lord, there, a number of them were not even in the services this morning because they're teaching and training and uh, helping other young people and adults alike to catch the vision of Jesus Christ, to see him first in their life. And so many of these, Father, that are gathered tonight, were uh, every one of them probably, Lord, I don't know if there was a one that wasn't praying about our, our, our big youth rally and wasn't, isn't praying about the 23rd. We're all involved and we're all focused on trying to reach people with the gospel and trying to make a difference. But yet, Lord, even though our hearts are, are certainly intent on trying to please you, the reality is, is that Sometimes, Lord, the devil can throw a pitch that causes us to strike out if we're not careful. We don't want to strike out. We want to hit the home run. We want to be on target for you. Help us now, Lord. Help us. And Lord, if there be anyone that's been a little bit lazy in some things, and the fastball's gotten them, may they not just continue. May they change that. May they get alive, alert. May they truly, Father, walk circumspectly. And Lord, for those that possibly have chased a few things outside the strike zone, allowed themselves to get outside the will of God in a matter or outside the word of God, may they, Father, confess that as sin and get right with you again and get back in alignment with you. And for those, Father, that maybe we've gotten ahead of you at times, may we confess that and slow down long enough to pray, to seek your face and to wait on your answers your timing. Lord, we'll thank you. Again, Lord, none of us today are perfect. We all, we all need your, your grace. Help us as we stand in that batter's box in the game of life to truly, Father, be prepared to win the battle. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.